I don't think I really need to point out the haze in the air. There is some haze in the air, no question, and uh, it is credited to one of the many, many wildfires burning across this province and certainly from the east. And uh, we've had them east, west, and now they're everywhere in between in this country with the government warning that we are just uh, starting what they warned could be a lot worse when it comes to wildfires thanks to, you know, hot temperatures, tinder dry, underbrush, and a whole lot of weather fueling it. But when you look at some of the stats... So far already, there have been 2,214 wildfires burning more than 3 million hectares. When you actually think about the size of that, that's 5 million football fields. But back in 2014, they considered that the worst fire season. And we are already, they're saying fires in 2023 are now equal to 71% of the complete burn for that season. So we still have three months to go. So what is it about this season so much worse than others? Let's ask someone who might know. His name is Dave Martell, Professor Emeritus of Forest Fire Management Systems with the Institute of Forestry and Conservation at the John H. Daniels Faculty of Architecture at the University of Toronto. Good to have you, Dave. Thank you very much. Happy to be here. Can, can you fit that all in one card? Yes. <laughs> don't usually have cards anymore, though. So There you go. All right. Um, so I, I don't think it's a secret to anyone that we've got a lot of fires burning. Um, and we've heard, obviously, the, the temperatures are higher. W what do you accredit this to? Is it not being quite prepared? Because fires happen every year, but it, is it us not being prepared? Or is it that, that the temperatures and the um, conditions are that much more tinder? I, I think it's primarily when you look at the temperatures, uh, it's a combination of, of a number of of things, the important things that drive fires are how dry the forest is, and 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 basically how hot and how hot how how hot the temperature is, but but also very important the relative humidity and the wind speed. Mm -hmm. So uh, we we've had uh, at various places across the country at various times uh, very challenging weather conditions that are that are driving this uh, these these uh, terrible losses. Yeah. Um, and, and so what do we need to do to get ahead of it? Because I mean, it's a big thing to lose when you see all these fires. But is there a preventable way? I mean, we do things like controlled burns. Um, we used to, and I'm not sure where it stands, and maybe you can explain it, but we used to be able to get rid of a lot of the underbrush and the growth. Have those things been cut back? Because, uh, I mean, do they play a role? Or are we doing the kind of conservation um, and cleanup that we have to, to to prevent some of these from catching? Well, it's a very good question. There, there are two. There are two sort of important preventive things that that can and should be done beforehand. And and one is to uh, have typical fire prevention programs where you tell people, you know, be careful. Uh, people have to be reminded sometimes to be careful when they're out in the woods. The other thing that sometimes happens, and it's in and it's in in place at various places across the country, is. The, the governments impose what they call restricted fire zones. And those restricted fire zones can restrict everything from uh, no campfires to restrictions on industrial activity. And in some cases, I, I believe down in Nova Scotia, they even implemented some restricted travel so people couldn't go in. So so there, we have a long tradition of, of so-called typical prevention programs. But, but uh, as you pointed out, uh, there's a there's a lot more attention being paid to fuel buildups and and the role of fuel. So I sort of pardon the term, but people in the fire mm -hmm. business 
refer to vegetation as fuel, and they're and they're primarily interested, not surprisingly, on on how well it burns. So uh, one of the things that that and, and we've had terrible losses uh, in terms of impact of fire on people, on evacuations, uh, on, on homes being lost. So one of the things that we have to do, and we are doing increasingly, is to go out and look at the basically the forest near the communities or cottages and, and, and similar things, and the homes themselves. So, so Canada has, has uh, as many other countries have, something called Fire Smart Programs. And, there, uh, and there's a major sort of initiative that's been going on for several years, and it's been ramped up in recent years to encourage people to fire smart their homes and communities. So, so if people are interested, and they should be, then they can go. There's a website called Fire Smart Canada. They can Google it. And it gives advice on what people should do to treat that flammable vegetation near their homes and communities. But equally important to treat their homes, to make sure that they've got a home that's that's as resistant as possible, that it's got a fire-resistant roof, that they don't have flammable uh, garden mulch very close to their home, that they have cleaned the, the right. dead pine needles out of their eaves troughs and things like that. So, so, so yeah, there's far more attention being paid to fire smarting communities and homes than there has been in, in, in the past. Yeah, I mean, we can blame climate change to a point, but if we don't get ahead of it, I mean, we're not going to stop it. And so we have to prepare for it, whether it's shoring up bridges or dams or anything else. But you also have to do it to to stop fires from burning, because obviously if a lightning strike or, you know, the hubcap off a car blowing off the car and creating sparks, that stuff can light fires if we give it a, a chance to take hold. The other side of this is having enough firefighters because right now we don't have enough firefighters to fight all these fires. And I don't know if we have enough equipment um, to actually deal with, you know, sending out air aircraft to, to put flames out. How, how, what's our shape like with that, Dave, as far as being prepared for it? Because you can't just get firefighters on the fly. Um, how much more of that do we have to shore up? Well, it's, 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 it's difficult for me to judge. But if you listen to the federal government uh, press conference yesterday, there's yeah. basically a widespread agreement that we do not have enough trained firefighters in Canada, and there are initiatives being being undertaken to increase that number. But we do have a system in place to deal with these problems up to a certain level. There's a, there's an organization called the Canadian Interagency Forest Fire Centre in in mm-hmm. Winnipeg. And basically what happens is each day, each of the provincial fire management organizations, provincial and territorial and Parks Canada, will look at what's going on in their domain and what they expect to happen in the next while. And they will come up with an assessment that says, okay, we've got enough resources, we got more than we need, or we don't have enough. And they will send a message to, to the people in Winnipeg and they'll either say, we're going to have to borrow resources soon because we're going to run out or we have some that we can we can share. And and basically the SIFSI people sit down and they kind of broker the sharing within agencies within Canada. When you get to the point where we are now, where where, where the entire country is depleted so so money so far, we don't have enough resources. Then SIFSI starts going out to international partners. So. I can't remember the exact uh, countries, yeah. but I think there are people being brought in from South Africa. They're, they're talking France, about yeah. uh, Costa Rica. So, so we can we can borrow resources from them, 
to fill in the gaps when we get into these extraordinary fire seasons. And the, the reverse part of the coin is on, on a wet year, we can share our surpluses sure. with those other countries. Yeah, yeah, it's a give and take. But again, uh, we've had this government in for eight years, and I think the big thing is they got to get ahead of this stuff because they know it's coming. And if we don't do that, then uh, it's a lot of finger pointing between the feds and the provinces. But I think to your point, plan ahead and you can get it uh, taken care of. Nonetheless, I appreciate your insight into this, Dave. Uh, it's going to be a long season, so we might lean on you again to uh, to uh, get your expertise on it. So I thank you. Oh, you're quite welcome. Thank you. That is Dave Martell joining us. So, uh, again, uh, part of the challenge is that some of the jurisdiction here is provincial. And uh, we need a cohesive plan to deal with both levels and not have to tinker around with kind of finger pointing of who does what. You know what's here. Get a plan going.